Hey there, everyone. This is Greg Schutz for ReadyForTheDraft.com, and this is the Ready for the Draft podcast, episode number 27 of the 2020 podcast series, getting you ready for the NFL draft, which is still set to begin April 23rd. Now, again, you know, a lot of GMs are talking about wanting to postpone the draft, give them more time to really evaluate the players, but uh, right now, the league and the owners are saying we're going to push forward with the draft itself. There are some people that are even talking about will we even have a season. You know, the fact that COVID nineteen, the way that uh, the, the the social distancing has been going on. You know, if you look at at China with uh, uh, you know the situation there, it took them about five months to start moving back towards really allowing people to have some semblance of normalcy in their lives. You know, and so if we're talking about that here, we're talking more like like July at the earliest. So if you're talking about these players who have to be in game shape uh, and you're talking about training camp and everything else, you know, would we see the, the season delayed? You know, it, it, there are going to be a lot of questions that are up in the air. But in terms of the NFL draft itself. We know that that uh, is being, you know, they're moving that forward. They're pushing it forward. Uh, it's not going to be in Vegas, as we've discussed previously. It's going to be in a, in a separate location. And uh, they've considered a lot of different options, even having uh, seven round, or I'm sorry, seven days. So you're having each, maybe each round uh, has its own day for the draft, potentially. Uh, you know, a lot of different things that we're going to have to see how everything plays out. But I've decided I want to continue to put forth the podcasts over the next month because, frankly, you know we need to have something that we can discuss and talk about. Uh, you know, really kind of give everyone who's been social distancing, staying at home, self quarantining, give them kind of an outlet, something to to discuss, something to talk about, something to listen to. Um, you know, that hopefully we will be able to get back to a sense of normalcy. We'll be able to talk about uh, some of these different moves that have been happening, and frankly. You know, when I look at my my mock draft, you know, it, it's actually it looks a little bit different than the last time we talked. You allow allow me a couple of days to sit there with my mock draft, and you know, my mind starts working a little bit differently. I start looking at things. You know, I look at you know what grade do I have some of these players? Am I actually putting the players down based on the 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 focus of of the team, the team need, the fit of the of the program or am I just looking at all right, who's the next best player in line and just checking off boxes that way. You know, I'm really trying to study who who would be a good fit um, in you know that has a third round grade for this team that would really fit a need and really be a, a good fit for that program. So that's really the way that I'm I'm going back to the drawing board, if you will, really taking a look at things. And I think I have a pretty good a, a good feel for uh, the the draft with my mock draft at this point. Um, so the the first podcast in this roadshow of NFL divisions, if you will, after free agency. Really, what did the free agency market do with these rosters, with these team needs, and really how does that affect the draft? Uh, we, we did that a couple of episodes ago, and that was with the NFC East. Um, you know, if you look at Washington, you know, things look a little, you know, relatively similar. You know, I had Chase Young coming off the board in round number one. Uh, you know, this is a pick that could they go quarterback, you know, Ron Rivera could very well end up looking to get um, Tua Tonga-Vailoa. Look, you know, we saw that with Josh Rosen there in, in Arizona, and then the very next year they took Kyler Murray. Dwayne Haskins, though, I think he showed, he came on at the end of the season, showed enough 
to, to really say, you know what, I, I think they need to see a little bit more out of out of Dwayne Haskins before they move on from him. Chase Young, too, was a difference maker. You know, I, I think you pair him with, with Montez Sweat and, and Ryan Kerrigan. Hopefully he can get uh, completely healthy and back to form. But uh, I, I think that'd be a formidable uh, you know, pass rush, especially with a guy like Matt Ioannidis, who, uh, you know, defensive end in that 34 defense, five technique, you know, with eight and a half sacks to lead the team. Uh, you know, I, I look at the tackle position in round number three. I, I've got Matt Pert, you know, could very well be off the board in round number two. Big six, seven tackle. He's pretty raw, but look, you know, Trent. Williams, what is his future? You know, where do we expect him to be? Um, you know, I think that's a nice pickup for them. And then I had two receivers coming off the board to Washington. Not really sure why. Uh, they they do need a corner. I've got them taking Darnay uh, Darnay Holmes out of UCLA there in uh, in round number four. Uh, I thought that that'd be a nice fit. Um, Therefore, for Ron Rivera. And then finally, a lot of the receivers they have uh, Terry McLaurin and uh, uh, you know. Trey, uh, Trey Quinn and you know the, the receivers are, are, are smaller receivers I wanted to find a bigger receiver for them Brian Edwards out of South Carolina still have that same pick there uh, the Giants uh, pretty much look the exact same uh, for the most part. I was looking at Tennessee, trying to figure out where I was going to go with round number one. Ultimately have them taking uh, Ezra Cleveland out of Boise State. Had him going to the Giants, so the only real difference here in the top four, uh, I'm, I'm switching that out, and I've got Isaiah Wilson, the big mammoth right tackle out of Georgia, the junior, uh, 6'6", 350 pounds. You put him on the right side there with Nate Solder on the left side. Now that Mike Remmers is gone, uh, you'll be able to protect, you know, Daniel Jones, protect that investment. Um, you know, there's still a chance that Simmons either is off the board or uh, that, that Gettleman decides to move on, uh, you know, and and go ahead and actually take a tackle. If he does that, it'll probably be Jedrick Wills. But I think Isaiah Simmons, too good to pass up, especially there, you know, linebacker who can cover tight ends and running backs out of the backfield, much like we discussed previously. Um, Dallas. Uh, change things up a little bit here with them. You know, looking at their roster, looking at how everything shakes out. Uh, a lot of people are expecting it to be Clavin uh, Chase on. Uh, you know, we talked about that previously about how that's not really going to work. Same thing with C.J. Henderson. Um, so if both of those guys are off the board, I'm expecting Trayvon Diggs uh, to be their pick there at number 17. Uh, I have a safety coming off the board in round two, Grant Delpit. Uh, you know, I, I think with the safeties, you have Haha Clinton Dix. Uh, back there with Xavier Jones, or I'm sorry, Xavier Woods. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, you know, haha, Clinton Dix is only going to be a one year rental. Um, and, and I think Grand Delp will ultimately be the, uh, get the first crack at being the full time starter next to Woods. Uh, in round number three, you've got James Lynch at the defensive end out of Baylor. Uh, this is a guy, look, Baylor's um, all time leading sack artist. Uh, a guy who you know is is a lot more twitchy than you would expect, a lot better, you know, more bend, you know, very physical, very powerful as well. Um, I think he'd complement um, Demarcus Lawrence very well. Uh, and then receiver, they need to go with another receiver to pair with uh, with, with the the duo of uh, Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup. I'm looking at Lynn Bowden Jr. out of uh, out of Kentucky, uh, very versatile guy who can you know. Played quarterback there for the Wildcats, runs the ball extremely well, decent receiver as well. Um, I think that's a nice pick there. Gives Dallas a lot of versatility with their offense. And then finally, with the with the Eagles, Eagles look pretty much the same. I've got uh, you know Justin Jefferson coming off the board in round one, Logan Wilson round two. 
uh, defensive end uh, Khalid Kareem in round three. Now, round four, I changed things up a little bit because you've got Miles Sanders there as the running back, but the you know the backfield is going to look a little bit different, especially Jordan Howard's gone and uh, you know Corey Clement is a free agent still. I've got Eno Benjamin. Another receiver can catch the football out of the backfield. I think that'd be a nice compliment for uh, Miles Sanders. I've got Aaron, uh, Anthony Gordon out of Washington State, the quarterback going off the board at the end of, of round number four. Uh, you need to have a quarterback who can come in and back up uh, Carson Wentz. They've got Nate Sudfeld there, but I think they need another quarterback in there to really push Sudfeld for that backup job. I think Anthony Gordon is that guy. And then at the safety position, I had a Lowy Gilman. I think Gilman's really more of a fifth or sixth round pick um, when it's all said and done. I'm looking at Brandon Jones out of Texas. Could be a day two guy, um, but I think you know there, there's, there's enough there to... I think he'd be a nice pick there at the end of round number four for Philly. Uh, they, they have some pieces there at the safety position. Jalen Mills could very well end up being a, a corner. And if that's the case, they're going to need somebody there at the safety position. Brandon Jones could be that guy. So, you know, change things up a little bit there with uh, episode two or episode 26, episode two of our, our tour here. And, uh, you know, Miami, let's see. Didn't really change things too much. In round number three, I had them taking Cam Dantzler, the corner, uh, outside linebacker. They need need to put some pressure on the quarterback. Got them taking uh, uh, Anthony Jennings uh, out of Alabama. And uh, you know, if we look at the other teams that we've discussed, the New York Jets. Um, I actually have them taking two outside linebackers. If you look at that roster, Jordan Jenkins is gone. They need to put pressure on the quarterback. Curtis Weaver of Boise State, Josh Uche of Michigan. Uh, you know, Weaver, you know, could very well fall to round number three. That's what I have him have them uh, have him going. And uh, Josh Uche also in round number three. You get the two of them. Um, you know, I think that's really where the Jets could double up. It is at that outside linebacker position. They need to get some guys in that on that roster who can actually rush the passer. So the the Patriots, you know, without Tom Brady, I'm looking at that roster. The only differences that I have in round number three, uh, their second pick after Adam Troutman, I've got them taking Tyler Beattis. Uh, they need you know some help there. Uh, you know, David Andrews, his health uh, is he going to return? Uh, you know, I, I think they also need some depth at the guard position. Tyler Beattis out of Wisconsin makes a lot of sense there. And then quarterback position, you know, you're looking at quarterback, and they already have Jarrett Stidham. Uh, I think they're going to still bring in a veteran, but I think they're going to—they're not going to get out of this draft without taking a quarterback. I'm looking at Jake Fromm out of Georgia. He feels a lot like a Tom Brady type of player, very very cerebral quarterback. Really knows where to go with the football. Makes a lot of pre-snap reads. Not the best arm. Uh, you know, the physical talents aren't necessarily there. They're not going to really wow you. Um, you know, and if you watch Tom Brady's combine performance, you know, you look at it and say, yeah, you know, the athleticism, not necessarily there, but you see what the GOAT's been able to do. I think Jake Fromm would be a nice guy to go in there, push Jarrett Stidham and whoever the veteran is going to be that they're going to bring in on the roster. Uh, you know, I think that that does make a lot of sense there as well. And then Buffalo, you know, with Buffalo change things up a little bit. I had uh, Jeff Gladney uh, originally in the first round. I thought that was a little too rich for him. Moved him to round number two. Um, I think he'd be a nice corner uh, opposite Tredavious White. Um, they need another edge rusher. Bradley and I still have him coming off the board in round three. And then round four, I'm looking at the receiver position. They already have um, 
Stephon Diggs, they have Cole Beasley, they have John Brown. Get a big physical receiver like Colin Johnson in there. I had him going to Dallas in, in my prior mock draft, but I'm really looking at Buffalo. Um, they, they do have Dawson uh, Dawson Knox, a tight end, Tyler Croft, a tight end as well. But I think Colin Johnson really get a big physical presence at that receiver position. Um, I think that'd be a nice compliment for what they have going on already in that receiving core. So catching you up on, on what I've done with my mock draft. And really that's why I haven't released it out onto the website yet is because of all these changes. Um, hopefully I, I, you know, between this podcast and our next podcast, I don't make a ton uh, more changes, but that's ultimately, you know, that's part of the fun of, of the mock draft and really looking at and studying the draft, you know, looking at, I went back and looked at last year's draft and looked at who were the, the third, fourth, fifth round picks, you know, who came off the board. And that kind of gives you an idea of, of what to expect in those rounds in, in 2020 as well. Uh, you know, now granted, you know, you're talking about different needs, you know, different teams and different needs and things like that. But, you know, the same types of players and really from a grade standpoint, where you saw the players going and who was coming off the board, you know, where does it make sense? So without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into our next visit. And that's really going to be at the NFC North. Now, NFC North, obviously you're talking about the Lions, the Packers, um, the Minnesota Vikings and the Bears. Now the Bears don't have a first round pick, so we'll be doing we'll be taking care of them last. So we're going to go in order of their their first round selections, and we're looking at Detroit first. So Detroit sitting there at number three overall. And there's a good chance that Detroit could look at Isaiah Simmons. We were just talking about Isaiah Simmons potentially going to to the Giants at number four, but. You, know, you look at that linebacking core, and I think you know you have a few pieces. You have Jelani Tavai that you just brought, you know, that you brought in a season ago. Um, I thought he has some promise there at, at the um, at the linebacker position. You've got Jared Davis. You just brought in Jamie Collins. Um, you know, when you're looking at an outside linebacker, you know, the one that I'm looking at is is a possible replacement for Christian Jones. You know, they did sign Reggie Ragland. They they signed Elijah Lee. I wouldn't necessarily say that that would. Dis- uh, discourage them from taking a linebacker, but I think they've kind of shored things up a little bit there that make them turn in a different direction. I think really this is going to come down to, uh, if it's not Jeffrey Okuda, then it could be Derek Brown, the defensive tackle. And I'm looking at Danny Shelton and the addition of, of Shelton in there. You know, they do have John Atkins right now slated as one of the defensive tackles to start. And, and I, I think they need an upgrade there, but I think they're going to look day two to find a, a replacement there because I look at Derek, Derek Brown, you put him next to, to Danny Shelton. I think that'd be a, a formidable duo, but I'm just, I'm looking at that cornerback position and I'm looking at, you know, Desmond Trufant uh, brought in to, to man one side and, you know, the, the trade of Darius Slay, I think that was really what, uh, what really brought everyone to the forefront looking at this saying, you know what? You know, this is going to have to be a, a cornerback taken in, in round number one. Desmond Trufant, I think, is a nice complimentary piece, but he's not going to be your number one corner, I wouldn't say. Um, so I'm looking at, at Jeffrey Akuda. It makes a lot of sense. You can have Justin Coleman play in the slot. Uh, Amani Oruwari, I thought, looked looked really good. The, the fifth-round pick from a season ago uh, out of Penn State. I thought he came on at the end of the season. So I think you're really rounding out a really nice cornerback group. But I'm looking at Jeffrey Okuda, and, and man, you know th- this makes a, a, a ton of sense. You know the fluidity, the length, the ball skills. Uh, you know really athletic there on the outside, and uh, you know ran sub four five. You know at, at the at the combine, 
very patient at the line of scrimmage. I think that's one of the things that you really see out of Okuda's game. Stays square to the receiver despite the receiver's initial movements off the line. Forces the wide out to commit before turn before he turns to run. Can get physical with the receiver. Gets his hands on him early to jam and reroute off the line. Uh, does a great job as a boundary corner. Um, I'm sorry, using the boundary as another defender, really pinning his man to the sideline, eliminating any separation, really sticks like glue to the wide receiver with blanket, blanket coverage, really physical, making it difficult for the receiver to make a play on the football. Excels in bail technique as well. Uh, you know, gets off, uh, on top of the receiver on vertical routes uh, before looking back for the ball, leaning in towards the receiver to close the distance as well. Uh, hugs the ball side hip of the receiver, really allowing him to make a play uh, on the football. You know, extending and, and reaching at the catch point to make a play on the football. Um, uses his length and impeccable timing to attack the receiver's hands as the ball arrives to disrupt the catch as well. Even when he's beaten, uh, he has the, the the makeup speed to gain ground late to then attack the football in the air. You know, I think there is some lack of discipline with this game. His eyes you know, will lose touch of his man. Some of the route recognition could be a little bit better. But look, Akuda, you know, he's he's the, the the top corner in this year's draft and. You know, I, I think the Lions made a statement by trading away Darius Slay that this is ultimately going to be Jeffrey Okuda uh, with number three overall. So moving on to the second round, I said that they're going to look for a defensive tackle on, on day two and, and look no further than Justin Matabuike out of uh, out of Texas A&M. Now Matabuike. You know, is a uh, you know he he really impressed at the combine. It was 6'3", 293, ran a four eight three forty while also putting up thirty one reps in the bench press. So you know showed an you know awful lot of athleticism, showed some power as well. And I think that's one of the things that you, that you really see out of out of Matabuike that jumps off the film immediately is his ability to uh, really bench press his his man off the line and, and get off blocks, shed blocks, fill some holes, and. Uh, um, Offers a little bit of pass rush ability as well. Um, you know, so 24 and a half sacks in his, I'm sorry, 24 and a half tackles for loss, 11 sacks in his career, five forced fumbles. So he knows what to do when he gets there, not just looking for, for a sack. He's going to try to, uh, you know, try to strip the ball as well. Uh, I, I look at, at Justin Matabuike. This makes a ton of sense to me. You know, you have Danny Shelton, you put him in there, uh, Matabuike there next to Shelton. You know, and that really takes care of that loss of, of Ashawn Robinson, who's now playing in, uh, in L.A. with the Rams. I like this pick at the top of round number two. There is some talk that Matabuike could potentially get some some looks in, in round number one. So I think that'd be a really nice pick at the start of round number two. Looking in round number three, you know, I'm looking at the receiver position. Now, the, the wide receivers, you, you look at... at, at Detroit, and you have Kenny Galladay, who is a bona fide, uh, you know, number one receiver, you know, thousand yard receiver a season ago, and he's the guy who's going to be the favorite target of of Matthew Stafford, uh, who, by the way, you know, it sounds like he's got a clean bill of health, uh, battling all those those uh, issues with his back. Glad to hear that uh, he's going to be making a full recovery and be out there on the field. Um, but you know, Marvin Jones, Danny Amendola, a couple of smaller receivers there really kind of round out the the top three of their receiving core. And uh, look, all of these receivers are going to be free agents in, in 2021, including Galladay. So you have to find a receiver. I think one, at least one of those guys, whether it's Jones, Amendola, I think Galladay, they're going to try to to resign. He's only 26 years of age. You know, he, he's on that rookie deal. And uh, I think he's going to be someone who's going to ask for, you know, and really garner some uh, some more money. But uh, I think he's definitely proven his worth 
So I'm looking at at receivers, and I'm looking at Donovan People uh, Peoples Jones. Now Donovan Peoples Jones, um, you know, people haven't really gotten to see everything that this guy can do. You know, six two two oh eight. Um, but you know, only 103 receptions in his career, uh, just over 1,300 yards and 14 touchdowns. Um, you know what, what's really, you know, kind of disappointing is is the quarterback play that he's had. Um, you know, Shea, Shea Patterson's really struggled um, pushing the football down the field, uh, especially with his his accuracy, and, and I think that's really affected things with Donovan Peoples Jones. He was also sharing. Um, Sharing the receiving core with with other talented receivers, Tarek Black and Nico Collins. So he didn't see the ball thrown his way quite as much as some of the other receivers in this year's draft. But uh, you know, seventy, you know, eighteen percent of his his receptions went for for touchdown in uh, in twenty nineteen. So this is a guy who definitely is a playmaker. And, and if you're watching the combine, uh, Peoples Jones really put on a show. You know. Uh, Ran a four four eight forty, but the forty four and a half inch vertical leap. I mean, that's that that's just ridiculous. You know, just uh, how good that is. Forty four and a half inch vertical leap. You know, that really show showcases the you know and and you know when I talk about the combine, it's really validating what you've seen on game film, and that absolutely does because you see him high point the football. He times his jumps really well. High points the ball. Really extends that catch radius and that explosiveness is really what you're looking for in a receiver you know he's bulked up he's actually 212 pounds uh 33 and a half inch arms as well so he's got some of the longer arms of of any receiver in this year's draft class and, and so I, I think when you you put all of that together he could very well end up being a second round receiver but because of the depth of the receiving core in uh receiving class he can fall to the, uh, to the third round, and I'm looking at at the Lions at the top of uh, of of the third round, and I think that's ultimately where Donovan Peoples Jones is going to go. They got number 66 overall. I'm looking at Peoples Jones. I think that'd be a nice pickup, and uh, he'd really be one of those receivers. Wouldn't be asked to have to do a lot in uh, in 2020 because you have Jones and Amendola on the roster with Galladay. Uh, TJ Hawkinson as well, a tight end, but somebody who I think could really step in and take on more of a, you know, a, a you know, starter potential in 2021. So we move on to the fourth round and uh, pick number 109. I'm looking at the Lions. They need, need to address the interior of that offensive line, I think a little bit. And, uh, Oh, sorry. I'm actually jumping ahead of myself a little bit. So before we do that, uh, 84 overall because Detroit did get the pick from Philly, and uh, I'm looking at Carry On Johnson. You know, I think there's some injury potential there with, with Carry On, and that's one of the things that has to be a concern for for the Lions is his health. And so I'm looking at trying to find them a a running back who would be a nice complementary back. And I'm looking at Clyde Edwards-Alaire, the big bowling ball uh, of, a, of a player. Really reminds you a lot of Maurice Jones-Drew. Not very tall. So when I say big, you know, he's not very tall. He's only 5'7". But he's over 200 pounds. He's 208 pounds. So when you talk about him, he's very powerfully built. And when you look at, at him as a, as a runner, 
You know, that's really what he is. He's that bowling ball. He's going to run you over, um, you know, really good uh, agility for a guy his size, though. So, I, you know, he, he's somebody that's to me, was really fun to watch. I think what kind of separates Clyde Edwards-Alaire from a lot of, uh, a lot of running backs is uh, his ability to catch the football out of the backfield. Some of the best hands of any uh, running back in this draft class. And, uh, you know, so let's see. Over 1,400 yards on the ground in 2019, 16 touchdowns, 55 receptions. So, I mean, when you talk about that and, and what he meant to that offense, you know, 55 receptions coming out of the running back position. You know, so when you when you talk about that, what that looks like, so Justin Jefferson had 111 catches, Jamar Chase 84. Guess who's number three in terms of the number of receptions? It wasn't. Uh, Thaddeus Moss. It wasn't Terrace Marshall. It was Clyde Edwards-Alaire. So when you talk about that out of the out of the running back position, he's going to be a weapon and could be a guy that you can bring in uh, on first, second, or third down. He could be a three down back if you need him to be. Um, you know, you hope that carry uh, on Johnson his health. But look, in in 20, uh, 2019, uh, just 113 carries, 403 yards, and three touchdowns. That's just not going to get it done. The production there just isn't going to happen. You have Bo Scarborough and, and Ty Johnson on the roster, but I think adding Clyde Edwards-Alaire really is going to uh, move that that running back group in, in the right direction. And I think if Carryon Johnson does go down to injury, he struggles with, with dealing with some of that. I think Edwards-Alaire has the skill set to be a guy who can be a starter at the next level and be very productive for the Lions and be a, a favorite target uh, of Matthew Stafford as well. So now we'll go ahead and move to, to round number four and the interior line uh, at number 109 overall. And uh, you know, with the Lions up front, you know, you've got Joe Dahl and uh, really Halapuli Vati Vaitai uh, kind of penciled in potentially as your guards. And uh, Vaitai... You know, scheduled in right now as the right guard. He was, you know, if you'll remember, was the fill-in there for uh, Jason Peters during the Eagles' uh, playoff run. But he really does look like more like a guard than anything else. You know, Taylor Decker is going to be your left tackle. We know that Frank Ragnow is going to be your center. We know that um, at right tackle. You know, I'm looking at Tyrell Crosby, more than likely going to be be manning up there. But uh, with Dahl and Vitae, you know, Vitae really f- feels like more of a swing, ta- uh, swing tackle than anything else. Um, I think they need, need a, to address the interior of that line. And I'm looking at Shane Lemieux. You know, look, Shane Lemieux over 50 starts in his career at Oregon. And uh, a, a guy who, you know, he's not, not the best athlete in the world. Although uh, I was pleasantly surprised at the combine. Ran a 5-1-140. Um, but, uh, you know, when you look at some of the other numbers, just 25 and a half inch vertical leap um, and a three cone drill at uh, over eight uh, among the slowest in the, in that group, you know, of offensive linemen. But uh, this is a guy, look, he's not going to be asked to sit there and turn corners a ton. Uh, wasn't really asked to pull his his job more than anything else. He was really, really stout at the point of attack. You know, very, uh, you know, generates a lot of movement and really just a smart, smart uh, guard. I thought he worked well with Panay Sewell on some of the combo blocks. Did a really good job passing off uh, some of the uh, defensive linemen to uh, 
Jake Hansen on his on his right, the center, or off to Sewell to then pick up a blitzing linebacker coming up the middle. Um, I, I you know really just a, an intelligent player. So I think adding him, if nothing else, provides some depth to the interior of that line. But a guy who again, I think he has starter potential. Look, he was coached up by by Mar- uh, Mario Cristobal himself, an offensive lineman there for Miami, the Hurricanes, and uh, I think the attitude that you really saw out of that Ducks offense. I think that's really what the Lions. If you want to try to start running the football a little bit there, he's going to bring a little bit of that attitude as well. I think that'd be a nice pick for Detroit at the top of round number four. So those are my picks for the Lions. And uh, let's see. So that's Detroit. So now we'll go ahead and move on to Minnesota. Now the Vikings, look, they had an issue with Stephon Diggs. And, you know, Stephon Diggs was not happy that Minnesota re-upped Kirk Cousins. You know, I thought they made things work after he and Adam Thielen called out Kirk Cousins. They really made it work. And you saw Minnesota get into the playoffs and they're moving everything forward. But at the end of the day, you still know, you know, these guys were professionals. They got through the season, but you know that they're still... You know, some of that uneasiness there. And, and Stefan Diggs, really, he voices displeasure um, at the receiver position with Kirk Cousins and, and that continued commitment. So, you know, the Bills were lacking a true number one wideout for Josh Allen. And the Vikings, ultimately, you know, they wanted to move on from Stefan Diggs. So it really made a whole lot of sense. So you, you trade Diggs to the Bills, let them get their number one receiver. And now Minnesota is sitting there at number 22, you know, they have two picks in round number one. So they could package the picks and move up. But uh, I think you stay here um, and, and you go with the receiver. Get the number one receiver. Um, you know, Adam Thielen is is really 1A. Um, so this could be a complimentary receiver for Thielen or it could end up being 1B just like Stephon Diggs was. Uh, I'm looking at T. Higgins out, out of Clemson. 6'4", 216 pounds. And, and the junior look. Pro Football Focus reported that in 2019, Higgins was targeted, targeted 23 times on deep balls, hauled in 15 of those for 565 yards. So everyone talks about the fact that T. Higgins can't separate, but he's a guy who is a deep ball receiver. And he's he's proven to be that threat down the field, has a huge catch radius, was a weapon in the red zone for, for Trevor Lawrence as well, uh, posted consecutive seasons with, you know, with at least 59 re- uh, receptions, finished with 25 total touchdowns. You know, in 2019, over 1,000 yards, averaging 19.8 yards per reception. Also had a five-game stretch in November and early December where he posted 10 touchdowns. And his performance against Virginia in the ACC championship game was so dominant, nine passes, uh, hauled in for 182 yards and three touchdowns in that victory over the Cavaliers. You want to watch you know, a performance that, that really, I think, would seal the deal for him as a first-round pick, put on that game against Virginia uh, in that ACC championship. You know, This is a guy who was just making plays all over the field. You know, Higgins can win off the line. You know, gets an inside release. I think that's one of the things that you see. He'll, you know, the suddenness to get uh, up the field in a hurry as well. Uh, uses that inside release to set up the corner on, on his post routes. Um, using a quick head fake and jab step. Um, you know, to the to the outside before getting back inside. Or the same thing too on his corner routes where he'll he'll use you know that that post. You know, he'll run the post one play and then he'll use that head fake to the inside. 
get back outside on his on his corner routes and really gets a lot of those corners turned around. Um, in, in a game against South Carolina, his move was so effective. He had Israel Mukuamu, who's you know really a solid corner and has tr- you know tremendous length, and a guy who I think will be a, a factor in the 2021 draft. Had him so turned around on this 27 yard reception, um, you know I thought it was a, a, a tremendous route. You know he tracks the ball well, does a good job adjusting to the ball while it's in the air. Uh, you know this is a guy you know 50 50 balls. You know, no problem there as well. Um, you know, let, let's let's tone things down with with the the, the negativity with, with T. Higgins' game. You know, I I think that this is a guy who uh, can be a dynamic receiver down the field. Um, I think the one thing that everyone points at is that he he really was unable to win consistently consistently against press coverage. Also struggled against some of the talented corners to close out the season. Managed just seven receptions for 85 yards against the likes of of Jeffrey Akuda, Damon Arnett, Christian Fulton, Derek Stingley down the stretch. You know that inability to separate from defenders vertically in that group, uh, or with his route running, could be cause for a concern. But uh, you know, I, I think. At the end of the day, the whole body of work points to the fact that this guy is somebody, you know, if nothing else, he can create that late separation, but a guy who can make plays down the football field, and that's really what the Vikings are going to need. So I think getting T. Higgins there in round number one at 22 overall makes a ton of sense. Now look, you know, at 25, you know, I, I think this pick is really going to be used on, on a cornerback. It has to be. You know, and really, when you look at Minnesota, this team is going to look so different than it did in 2019 on the defensive side of the football. All these guys that are leaving um, in free agency, it, it's it's really quite remarkable. Um, so before we get to the cornerback position, you know, we'll talk about some of the other guys that, that are no longer on the roster. Um, you know, you have Linville Joseph, the the nose tackle. He's no longer on the roster. Um, you know, Everson Griffin, you know, 74 and a half sacks in 10 seasons in Minnesota. He was released. J. Ron Curse, you know, a, a safety, um, you know, really a guy that played well on special teams, would come in um, in different packages uh, defensively as well. He's he's no longer on the roster. And then, it, then there's a cornerback position. So Xavier Rhodes was was released. He's now in Indianapolis, and now uh, you know Mackenzie Alexander and Trey Waynes are in Cincinnati, and so that leaves Minnesota uh, really the only true corner that that has uh, game experience and really you know a, a proven corner is Mike Hughes, who was taken in, in round number one in twenty eighteen, number thirty overall. They need to get another corner to pair with him. And when you look at, at this roster and what, have, what has Minnesota done, you'll ask, what have they done in free agency? Not a whole lot. You know, when you're looking at that corner position right now, Nate Metters is the you know is looking at more than likely the, the starting corner opposite uh, Mike Hughes, and there really isn't any depth behind them after that. They did re-sign Anthony Harris, the free safety, you know, who was a playmaker there on the back end of their defense. But you need to get another corner. You need another corner out there on the outside. Uh, Matthew Stafford is in that division. Aaron Rodgers is in that division. You're going to see both of those guys twice. And then you get into the playoffs, you're going to need some lockdown corners on the outside. So they have to go corner with one of the first two picks in the first round. I think they go receiver first, then they get their corner. And I'm looking at Christian Fulton out of LSU, and I think that definitely makes sense. Now, this was a guy 
Um, very instinctive on the outside, has the skills to start immediately. Now look, you know, this is a guy who was rarely targeted in 2018, even though he was lined up opposite Greedy Williams, who was you know, touted as a, as a first rounder, ultimately went second round uh, you know, to the Browns in last year's draft. Uh, this year teamed up with, with a freshman phenom, Derek Stingley, gave LSU one of the most feared corner tandems in all of college football. You know, I think he really understands leverage, uses it to his advantage, puts himself in a position to make a play on the football. When he has inside leverage on an in-breaking route across the middle, stays on that ball side hip with the receiver, extends for the ball and attacks the, the catch point. Um, if he's going to get beaten, it's usually when he has outside leverage. Receivers will um, use that up the field to their advantage. Um, I, I think he does a good job um, ultimately driving on the football, undercutting routes, um, you know, really quick to get to the football, uh, arrives so quickly that uh, he really prevents any yards after the catch, wrapping up the receiver in the open field. Ball skills are definitely evident. Look, 20 pass breakups in his career as well. Um, you know, you would like to see a little bit more production out of him. Only two interceptions in three seasons with the Tigers. That is concern. Uh, you know, cause for concern. Also, his arms are on the shorter side as well, so body positioning has to be critical to his success on the outside. Um, you know, I, he also wants to come up and play the run. I think he, that's one of the things you're going to see him put a big hit on on running backs. I think he can develop into a solid starter for the Vikings, and I, I think you pair him with with Mike Hughes, and uh, you know, I, I think you finally at least you feel a little bit better about yourself at the cornerback position. I think Minnesota at some point in the draft is going to look for another corner because I think they've just been hit so hard uh, from depth, you know, depth perspective. Um, so moving on to round number two, I think they continue to look at the defensive side of the football. You know, you lose the production of, of Everson Griffin. It's really hard to replace someone like that, but, uh, you know, I think they're going to try and, and you look at, at Jabari Zuniga out of Florida. And this is a guy, look, when Zuniga is healthy, this is someone who just happens to be in the backfield, uh, a, a ton. You know, he, he has a really good get off. Pretty powerful at the point of attack as well. 6'3", 264 pounds at the combine. Um, you know, Zuniga ran a 4'6", 440. Um, you know, 29 reps in the bench press. A 33-inch vertical leap as well. So, you know, pretty good athlete, um, you know, especially for a guy his size. Uh, 33 tackles for loss. 18.5 sacks as well in, uh, in his career. Only played in five games in, in 2019. Uh, but during that time, in just those five games, five and a half tackles for loss, three sacks. You know, a guy who you know, plays on the outside, plays on the edge, and uh, you know, will kick inside a lot of times and really was an effective pass rusher on the interior of the line. You know, especially if a team wants to use a NASCAR-type package where they put all defensive ends lining up there. You know, I think he's very versatile in that sense because he can rush outside, can rush inside, um, uses his hands really well, and that burst. The burst off the football, especially as an interior, you know, an interior lineman is struggling to deal with his burst. Then with the hand so quick, you know, with a with a club and or a rip, rip move. Uh, a good arm over coming off the ball as well, shooting that A-gap, getting into the backfield, making a play on the football. I think Jabari Zuniga, that'd be a nice pickup for uh, Minnesota there in round number two. Uh, moving on to round number three, and you know I'm looking at uh, Minnesota's uh, offensive line, and I think you know Riley Reef. The big question mark is is what's going to happen there. When is uh, when when are the Vikings going to move on from Riley Reef? Um, you know, this is a, a veteran tackle. Uh, they've talked about potentially moving him inside to guard. 
you know, it doesn't look like that's going to happen now. Um, but I, I think with Riley Reef, you know, I, I think his days are, are ultimately numbered. Um, they're on the roster. I think, you know, they, they hit a home run with, with uh, Brian O'Neill a couple of years ago in the draft. He's, he's a right tackle and he's playing right, you know, he's played right tackle um, throughout his career, you know, even in college at, at Pittsburgh. But I think this is a guy who can ultimately kick over to the left side of the line. Um, you know, I think he has the athleticism to be able to do that. So whenever Riley Reef, when they ultimately end up moving on from Reef, I think that's one of the things that you're probably going to see uh, happen is uh, ultimately seeing him move over and um, having issues with my computer right now. I'm trying to look up. Hmm. Well, anyway, at some point you're going to have to move uh, move on from Riley Reef. You know, you're looking at Brian O'Neill potentially moving over to the left tackle position. So you're going to need a right tackle. So I'm looking at Lucas Niang out of out of TCU. And now Lucas Niang, you know, here here's one of the things for me with with him. Um, you know, Niang, you know, he, he was out for the year with with a leg injury, so he wasn't able to really take part in a lot of um the the pre-draft process, you know, unfortunately. Um, but you know, Niang, what, what I really appreciate about his game, um, three-year starter, very physical. Um, I thought he was very quick on his uh, on his feet as well. Really does a good job getting to his, uh, yeah, it was actually a torn hip labrum. That was ultimately what uh, what happened with, with Niang. But he's very athletic, um, bends at the knees. Um, that's really one of the things you want to see some of that flexibility. You know, he fires off the snap. Uh, uses his hands very well. Um, really good use of angles, especially with his kick slide. That's one of the things that you definitely want to see there. Um, he's strong, like I said. You know, does a good job. You know, really uh, sealing off the edge, sealing his man off to the outside. Um, you know, able to redirect on blitzes very well. Um, you know, I think in footwork. You know, if there's anything that really needs to to, to change there with his game, it's going to be the footwork um, when it you know, when it's all said and done. But I, I feel like Lucas Niang is kind of the forgotten man in this entire offensive line class, just because you know there are quite a few offensive linemen that people are talking about right now, and rightfully so. You know, we have some some stars there up in the making potentially at the top of the draft. You have quite a few guys that you could see on on day two that come through, and Niang's the guy that really nobody he's kind of the forgotten man because of all those injuries. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really hoping that, you know, a, a team like Minnesota does take a chance on him here in, in round, uh, round three, you know, he could be a, a, a day two guy. I think he was really going to be someone who's going to push, um, you know, Austin Jackson, Ezra Cleveland, uh, to be that guy who could be either late one or early two, the, the hip labor, you know, issue, obviously, you know, kind of put a, a damper on that, but uh, a guy who I think can be definitely very uh, effective at the next level. Now, I finally got my, my computer back up and running. And, and Riley Reef uh, is going to be a free agent at the end of, of the 2021 season. Uh, signed that five-year deal, um, over $58 million. And, and so Riley Reef, there's still that chance that they could potentially move on. And uh, you know, I'm at SpotTrack right now, SpotTrack.com. If you haven't been to SpotTrack, Excellent website, by the way. Breaks down everything in terms of uh, contracts, free agents. Really gives you an idea in terms of some of the dead cap space, what that all looks like. So 2021, let's see. Um, 
I, I don't know that they're going to make the move there in, in 2020 this year, but uh, looking at next year, the, the dead cap um, post six, one, really it's about 2.2 million in dead cap, um, but over 11.7 million in cap savings. So if they are going to make a move and move on from Riley reef, it'll be at the end of this season. So I think you get your, your tackle of the future, whether it's a left tackle or right tackle. In this case, I think O'Neill can move over to the left side. You bring in Niang there on the right side. And I think you really have something there for Minnesota, uh, protecting Kirk cousins in 2021. So you're looking at uh, at that safety position. As I mentioned, you have um, Anthony Harris coming back. You know, I think you had to get him the uh, six interceptions from a season ago. You had to bring him back, but there's really no depth at the position. You know, on the roster at all. So I'm looking at Julian Blackman out of Utah. And Blackman, you know, if you put on the USC game, he was burned quite uh, quite badly. But really, all of the the corners in that game. Uh, and safeties, all, you know, Michael Pittman just made them all look silly. So I, I don't think one game is going to be a reflection of their play. And look, you know, with, with Julian Blackman, he has experience at corner and safety. So some of that versatility is going to really be intriguing for teams. And you look at the nine interceptions in his career, had four interceptions as a corner in 2017, as a safety in, in 2019, another four, uh, 20 pass breakups in his career as well. Um, so this is a guy who definitely understands you know how to to make plays on the football. The ball skills are absolutely there. Um, so I, I think you put him in there as potentially a third safety. Um, you could potentially line him up in the slot as well and, and allow uh, Harris to make plays over the top. Not to be confused with Harrison Smith, who's their strong safety who could then play in the box a little bit. Uh, and then finally, looking at round number four, you have Kirk Cousins. You signed him for another two years. Um, but the question is, is is he going to be your long-term solution? Is that going to be the long-term guy? There could potentially be, they could be holding on, you know, to the fact that they're going to look for a quarterback in the 2021 draft. But I'm looking at, at their backups right now, Sean Mannion and Jake Browning. That just doesn't really, you know, instill any confidence. I'm looking at what if Jalen Hurts, OU's quarterback, is is taken here. Now, you know, hear me out with this. You know, Jalen Hurts, for me, I've never, you know, I've never really looked at Jalen Hurts and said that this guy is a, a bona fide, you know, star as a passer. You know, I think he's, a, he's an athlete. He's a guy who does a tremendous job running the football, um, but I never really considered him a passer. Um, you know, Alabama... You know, he, he did complete 62, almost 63% of his passes, 48 touchdowns, just 12 interceptions um, in his career at Bama. Also ran for almost 2,000 yards um, with, with 23 touchdowns. Then he transfers because obviously Tua Tonga Vailoa, you know, this is a kid, he came in, he started as a true freshman, then goes, uh, ultimately loses his job to, to Tua and doesn't transfer. He stays there. And ultimately against Georgia, he's able to come in, you know, the, get some retribution against uh, Georgia and that, you know, from that national title game where he went out and, you know, Bama was down, Tua took him back, led them to victory. Um, in that SEC championship in 2018, Jalen Hurts, you know, Bama was down and Jalen Hurts was able to come in. Uh, Tua was hurt and he was able to lead them to victory. So really a, a bit of rep- retribution there for Bama um, and Jalen Hurts. He transfers to OU, who had the two previous Heisman Trophy winners. And what does he do there? Almost 70% completion percentage, 
3,851 yards, 32 touchdowns, just eight interceptions. And then he rushes for over 1,200 yards, almost 1,300, 1,298 to be exact, 5.6 yards per carry, 20 touchdowns. I mean, in, in just about any other year where we don't have the, the performance that Joe Burrow put up, these are Heisman Trophy winning numbers. And so he was the Heisman runner-up, and Joe Burrow was just so dominant that you know he had that landslide victory. But yes, Jalen Hurts, you look at those numbers, staggering. But the fact that there was ba- uh, Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray before him, you start wondering, is it is it more of a system? Is it really you know what Lincoln Riley is doing there that is allowing these quarterbacks to excel and put up some huge numbers? You know, I think Jalen Hurts, when you watch him, he's not like you know uh, Baker Mayfield or Kyler Murray with the way that he ran the football. This was a guy who was going to run you over. He was physical. He was tough. You know, this guy was a high school power lifter. Um, ran you know really physical. The physicality was one of the things that you really saw from him. You know, wasn't going to be a you know an overly um, overly shifty guy in the open field um you know does have some some decent speed ran a 45940 at the combine and you know when you're talking about 4 um 459 speed um you know that was faster than let's see faster than 12 running backs and if we look at the receivers just as a frame of reference that was also faster than 10 receivers so when you look at that, you know, look at the some of the athleticism. I think, you know, Jalen Jalen Hurts absolutely has that. There's no question that you're going to get some athleticism out of Jalen Hurts. The question really becomes, can he throw the football? I, I I thought there were times where he didn't see the entire field, and would, would make some ill-advised throws. You know, some some corners. You know, some defenders really dropped. A lot of a lot of passes that could have been interceptions got lucky, got bailed out by receivers, especially C.D. Lamb at times. But man, there are also some flashes where you know he would throw his receivers open, uh, knew where he was going to go with the football. Um, you know he, he's he's very much a one one read and go type of a guy, and and so you want to see him go through all of his progressions a lot more. Um, but there are some tools. There are tools that are that are there, and this isn't going to be a guy who can start day one. But Minnesota, you know, you bring him in, you allow him to really develop for a couple of years, and then see what you have when Kirk Cousins' contract is up. You know, you may be talking about you know Jalen Hurts and, and that development. You know, I, I think as a passer. Looking at him at Bama and then at OU, I thought he's improved immensely. I thought he looked really good at at the combine as well. Throwing the football, you know, looked good at his pro day. Um, OU was able to have an early pro day before all the COVID nineteen um, shut down pretty much all of the pro days from from here on out. So I thought that he looked looked solid there, and he just continues to get better and better. You know, I think he it's not on the same curve as as Dak Prescott. I looked at das, Dak Prescott, and if you listen to my podcast at all, you'll know my, my feelings with Dak. Dak was a guy, up until his senior year, he was an athlete who happened to be a quarterback. His senior year, things changed. He saw the entire field. He was making throws down the football field with accuracy, and he, he looked like a quarterback who just happened to be a great athlete. And, and really, you know, that transformation 
was ultimately what propelled him into some of his success there as a rookie in Dallas. You know, he was drafted in the fourth round. Jalen Hurts sitting here in the fourth round as well. I don't think that Jalen Hurts is the passer that, da- uh, that Dak Prescott was at Mississippi State. I think he still has more of a learning curve and really needs to develop a little bit more, make sure that he sees the entire field, make sure that he's not going to cut loose with the football. Also, stay in the pocket. You know, this is a guy who, you know, Ky- Kyler Murray said it, um, you know, coming out of OU and going to Arizona that, look, the holes are there. The problem is, is they close so quickly. And Jalen Hurts will have to learn that, that, look, I need to make sure that I'm taking care of the football, not always looking to run, try to find my receivers. When the play breaks down, it's okay to escape the pocket, but extend the play, look for an open man down the field, and may, you know, and deliver a strike. And, and so I, I think Jalen Hurts, you know, he, Minnesota could potentially be one of those teams. I was trying to figure out what would be a, a good landing spot for Hertz, and this just feels right. You know, I think this the timing is right, especially with with Kirk Cousins signing the deal. He'll be there for another couple of years. Jalen Hurts can do some development, and then we'll see where see what uh, see where he's at. See what you have at that point. Green Bay. So Green Bay, uh, look, you know, I, I think. You have to go receiver if you're Green Bay in round number one, right? Outside of of Devontae Adams, this receiving core really struggled mightily. You know, I, I think, and to say that, you know, would be an, an understatement. You know, I, I'm really a big fan of Alan Lazard, and I want to see Alan Lazard, you know, continue uh, his development. I think Alan Lazard, you know, coming out of Iowa State, he was one of my favorite players in that draft a couple of years ago. And he was an undrafted free agent and ultimately came onto the roster. And there were, there were some injuries, especially to Devontae Adams and you know Lazard. In terms of, of the receivers, 35 receptions, 477 yards, and three touchdowns. Now, he was the fifth leading receiver um, after Devontae Adams. There were a couple of running backs there, Aaron Jones, Jamal Adams, uh, I'm sorry, Jamal Williams, and then the tight end, Jimmy Graham, who's moved on to Chicago. Geronimo Allison no longer on the roster. And then, you know, Marquez Valdez Scantling, you know, your, your speedy receiver on the outside, had 17.4 yards per reception. But this is a guy who's just really inconsistent right now. Uh, so I, I think Green Bay has to find another receiver. And, uh, you know, Green Bay has already brought in Devin Funches, another bigger receiver. Um, they brought him in. Um, probably as, as kind of that third receiver option right now. You still have Equinemia St. Brown on the roster as well. So it's going to be interesting to see you know what type of dynamic, what they look for at the receiver position. But I'm looking at number 30 overall. I'm going to give a name that people I don't think are talking about quite as much, and they really should be, and that's Denzel Mims out of Baylor. And, you know, no, it's not just because of what he did at the Combine, although, you know, the Combine didn't really, you know, the performance there didn't hurt, um, you know, because I think he really blew everyone away. 6'3", 207, ran a 4'3", 8'40", 38.5-inch vertical leap, showed off tremendous athleticism. I think that's one of the things that people were concerned about was does he have the long speed to separate from guys down the football field? And he proved that he absolutely can. 33 and 7 eighths inch arms as well. So some of the longer arms in this entire draft class as well. And then you know, if you happen to watch the Senior Bowl and what he did there, some of his blocks uh, on, on Levert Hill, I, I just I felt so bad for, for Hill because 
Mims was just so physical, was driving him out of the play, driving him to the sideline, um, just muscling, manhandling him, muscling him all over the field. And uh, so definitely helped his draft stock there. Um, but but I look at, you know, not only the blocking, but, you know, he was difficult to cover there at the Senior Bowl, showed some suddenness to his route running, a flair for the acrobatic with his catches along the sidelines in the, in the back of the end zone as well. You know, I, I think about Senior Bowl performances and things that stand out, and I look at Cooper Cup. Now, Cooper Cup was a third-round pick, ran a 4 6 um, at the Combine, but at the Senior Bowl, he was uncoverable. You know, he just, he, nobody could really cover this guy. Um, you know, his release at the line was ridiculous and just really a savvy route runner, knew how to get open. And you see what he's done for the LA Rams, really been, uh, one of the more consistent receivers really in, in the entire league. Um, Mims, you know, thousand yard seasons in 2017 and in, in 2019 finished his career with 28 touchdowns. Um, you know, and if you really do study his tape, you'll see him win in a variety of ways, just like, like Cooper cup and, and, you know, Mims really, I think, you know, better athlete than cup. Um, but they both, the, the similarities are, you know, they do get open in a variety of ways. You know, Mim can be a weapon vertically, but he's also just as effective snapping off his routes, coming back to the quarterback, showing his numbers, extending for the ball away from his body. Um, uses that length that we talked about to his advantage, gives him that tremendous catch radius. You'll see him create le- late separation down the field using his arm. Uh, kind of, you know, keeps it keeps it out there. Uh, doesn't really push off or anything like that. Um, able to elevate over the corner and haul in the play, haul in the pass as well. Uh, tremendous with his adjustments to the football in the air. You'll see him twist, turn, contort his body, uh, making sure that he's in position to make a play on the football. Also has the awareness along the sideline to keep his feet in bounds after securing the catch. And then he's a nightmare in the red zone. Uh, the ability to not only elevate over the defensive back on a fade play, a fade on one play, but then the next to win off the line, get inside leverage, haul in the slant, uh, using his frame to shield the the ball away from the defenders as well, um, you know I, I think what he really does well in those th- those successes uses his man uh, faking in one direction with a quick jab step and then running running the other uh, running in the other direction. So you know the slant on one play he may fake the fade and then run a quick slant and then the very next play he'll have that quick jab step to the inside run to the corner and on a fade the very next. And I, I look at Mims. You know, he may be too much like other other guys on the roster. That might be one of the arguments. Um, you know, but I'd argue that his skill set is more unique than just about any other receiver uh, on the Green Bay uh, roster, not named Devontae Adams. I think he'd really be a nice compliment to Adams uh, on the outside. I think this be a nice pickup, and you know, having a receiver with that type of speed. And the, the catch radius and reliable hands, that's one of the things I think uh, Valdez Scantling doesn't have. I don't think he's very reliable. And that's really why Aaron Rodgers struggled so much, was finding a receiver that would actually hold on to the football. And I think getting Denzel Mims um, would make Aaron Rodgers a very, very happy man. So we look at Green Bay after taking, gro- uh, taking Mims in round number one. You look at round number two. How about that tight end position? We talked about Jimmy Graham no longer on the roster. Well, who do who do they have? 
Mercedes Lewis, not known for his pass catching ability. Uh, they have Jay Sternberger from a season ago, um, but I think you still need to go tight end. And, and I'm looking at Cole Kmet, um, you know, the, the, the best all around tight end, I'd say, in this year's draft. There are some guys who are better pass catchers, guys who might be better blockers, but the overall uh, skill set there for Cole Kmet is, is definitely there. Um, you know, 6'6, 262 pounds, ran a 4740, not, not, exceptional speed, but you know, a, a guy who can get the job done down the field. He's not going to be one of those tight ends like Evan Engram who's going to run away from guys, but he can be very effective with his route running. Um, you know, and, and I look at at the hands, you know, very reliable with his hands, good inline blocker. Um knows how to get open down the field, especially up the seam and and on some of his out routes. Um, so I think Komet will be a nice pickup here. Look, Aaron Rodgers is desperate for for weapons. I think he gets a guy here in round number two. Definitely want to make make your quarterback happy, and I think that that'd be a nice move there for them um, at the start of of their second day, and uh, that would be pick number sixty two overall. So now we transition to day number three. I'm sorry, so the third round, um, not day three just yet, although. With this year's draft, it could be day three uh, if they do talk about doing the draft over seven days. Uh, but I'm looking at pick number 93 overall, and I think they need a defensive end. You know, I'm looking at at the ends that they have right now: Dean Lowry, Tyler Lancaster. You know, that that's just not going to get it done. That group right now. Um, you know, you have Kingsley Kiki who could challenge for some playing time on Travius Adams as well. Um, you know, cause Kenny Clark's going to be your nose tackle more than likely. They're going to need some help desperately there at the defensive end position. And, and I'm looking at Raekwon Davis, you know, Raekwon Davis, you know, a lot of people were expecting him to be a first round pick, uh, in last year's draft, but you know, in, in 2018, I thought he had kind of a, a down season for him. Uh, a lot of expectations really put on this guy's shoulders after a tremendous freshman season. I think everyone remembers the interception that he had in the national title game that year, um, I'm sorry, that was as a sophomore in 2017, but in 2018, uh, just 55 tackles, uh, five and a half tackles for loss, just one and a half sacks. And then this past season, um, you know, more of the same, you know, just three tackles for loss, uh, just a half a sack, uh, just 47 tackles. And it, you know, it's compared to uh, just how active he was in 2017 with 69 tackles on the year. Uh, so 19 and a half tackles in his career, uh, tackles for loss in his career, 11 and a half sacks. Um, you know, and so, you know, there is some cause for concern there with some of that production. So this is one of those production versus potential. And I talked about that with Rashawn Gary production versus potential. And the potential was absolutely there. Very athletic, showed off all the athleticism at the combine and green Bay ultimately selected him in last year's draft. I believe it was uh, number 12 overall. Um, so I'm looking at Raekwon Davis um, and you know, six, six, 311 pounds, ran a five, one, two but you're not really expecting this guy to, to be, you know, a, a burner, uh, still put up 24 reps at, at 225 with nearly 34 inch arms, uh, mammoth, uh, you know, 11 inch hands, um, just really, you know, a, a big, big dude, uh, when it's all said and done. So I, I look at him, I think he offers some athleticism. This is a guy who I think does a good job coming down the line to play, uh, play the run. He does have offer some pass rush ability, but uh, I think his main area of focus is going to be setting the edge uh, in, in the running game. And I think there in, in round number three, some people like him in round two. 
I think that's still a little too high. I think the production, you know, again, production versus potential. This guy has unlimited potential. The question is going to be, can Green Bay take that out and bring that out of him? And that's really, you know, you look at Rashawn Gary, you know, if, if you feel like you can take another chance on another defensive player, much like, you know, Gary with production versus potential, I think they end up going with Rashawn, uh, I'm sorry, with Raekwon Davis here in round number three. So now taking a look at round number four, and really what uh, what Green Bay is going to be looking at. Um, I actually have them taking another defensive lineman. You know, and you're going to say, well, why why would you potentially do that? But again, you, know, you have Dean Lowry, you have Tyler Lancaster, and not much else. I think you, you know Green Bay really needs to. They got their, their targets for Aaron Rodgers out of the way. Focus on some of that defense. Look, they already have done that. Um, in uh, in free agency to some degree, um, you know, you look at you know the the cornerback position. They could go corner, um, you know, because they have Jair Alexander and Kevin King, but they need a, a third corner to go to pair up with them. Um, you have Darnell Savage and Adrian Amos at the safety position. Your your outside linebackers, Preston Smith and, and Zadarius Smith, absolute beasts. Um, you know, Oren Burks is now going to be on the inside at inside linebacker. Running mate now will be Christian Kirksey, who they got from the Browns. Um, you know, you notice that that Blake Martinez is no longer there. He's a volume tackler, but limited athleticism. He's moved on to the Giants along with an outside backer who actually was their mo- one of their more productive pass rushers over the last couple of years, and Kyler Fackrell. He's moving to the Giants as well. Um, so I think depth uh, at the linebacking core, depth at the cornerback position, you could potentially look there. But I really, I still look at that defensive end position, and, and it worries me. It really does. And I'm looking at McTelvin Aguim out of Arkansas, and I think that'd be a nice pick um, there at the end of round number round uh, round number four. And, and the reason for that is, you know, Aguim, you know, he's six three, three hundred nine pounds. Um, offer some additional size. I think both he and Raquan Davis um, for the Packers up front. I think they need to get a little bit bigger. I think they need to um, showcase some of that. You know, get someone who can also showcase that pass rush ability. You know, be able to be anchors against the run, set the edge, but also get after the quarterback. So this is a guy: thirty-one tackles for loss. 14 and a half sacks, six forced fumbles as well. Um, you know, I, I think a game is one of those guys that that's being overlooked. You know, he's um, underrated in my opinion. Uh, Arkansas, you know, not a ton of people are going to be watching Arkansas football, but this was a guy who I thought had a, had a pretty decent burst. And when you look at a guy who is as big as he is, again, 6'3", 309, ran a 49840, and then put up 20, 27 reps in the bench press. So, you know, he's powerful. And he has some pre- some pretty good speed. A man running, you know, four nine eight at three hundred nine pounds. You know, you know that he's he's going to be one of those guys who's going to be able to explode and get into the backfield. So I'm looking at those two guys. You know, Davis and Aguim makes a ton of sense to me. You know, really be able to to shore that up there on at the defensive end position. And then I think in round number five, round number six, you can start addressing the linebacker position and. Uh, and the cornerback position. I think they'll probably go inside backer, get another linebacker there to uh, play behind Burks and uh, Kirksey. And then I think you go with another corner, a guy who can play in the slot, possibly Josiah Scott um, from from Michigan State in round number five. Um, And then look for potentially a a diamond in the rough outside linebacker there in uh, in round number seven. I think that could be a, a potential direction that that uh, they may want to look.
So moving on from Green Bay to the Chicago Bears. Now, I mentioned that Chicago is without a first-round pick. Um, and uh, so they they won't be drafting on day one. They'll have to wait until day two to make their selection. They traded away to the Las Vegas Raiders in the trade for Khalil Mack. So at the end of the day, you know, I, I would have made that trade as well. So, but you're looking at Chicago on day two and what direction are they going to go? I'm looking at that safety position and uh, you know, Chicago sitting there 43 overall. This is a pick that they actually got from Vegas. Um, so they have two picks in round number two and, and that safety position. The reason why I say that, um, you know, they have Dion Bush that they signed uh, to play next to Eddie Jackson, but I really think they need to get um, a, a proven safety and I'm looking at Jeremy Chin. You know, if you haven't watched this guy play dynamic line, uh, safety, some people would say he's the best safety in this year's draft class. I don't necessarily want to go that direction just yet, but when it, I wouldn't be surprised if, when it's all said and done, if we're not talking about him as the top safety in this year's draft in the draft class. And the reason being is, you know, he's he's big, he's physical. Uh, he, he has excellent ball skills as well. Uh, coming out of Southern Illinois, I think that's really the biggest concern more than anything else when you look at a guy like Jeremy Chin is, are we going to be seeing um, you know the same caliber of player or are we going to be seeing you know some of that adjustment? Um, I think one of the guys that comes to mind is Nasir Adderley, um, ultimately you know taken by the Packers, I believe, and, and a guy who... Uh, I'm sorry, it was by the Chargers and, you know, has struggled a little bit with, with moving, uh, that up in, uh, in play that level of play. Cause he played at Delaware, uh, with the blue hens and, uh, you know, I, I think moving up in competition, you know, there's, there's a learning process and a feeling out process. But when you look at Jeremy Chin, he's a big dude. I mean, he's six, three, um, over 220 pounds. Uh, 240 tackles in his career, um, but 13 interceptions. So he had three in each of his first three seasons, another four uh, as a senior, 31 pass breakups, six forced fumbles. Uh, this is a guy who just you know plays all over the field. He'll play in the box if you need him to, uh, make some plays around the line of scrimmage, plays excellent, you know, uh, as, you know, as a deep safety over the top, um, and then just his ability to to read routes, to to watch the quarterback's eyes, diagnose plays, you know, and diagnose the routes in a hurry, and really you know makes a a quick jump on the ball, the, the break on the football. There's really no wasted movement. A guy who just understands um, the angles to to be able to make a play on the football, and the ball skills are evident. You know, 13 interceptions and 31 pass breakups. So this isn't a guy who's just going to arrive at the football and and try to knock it away. He's going to try to make a play on the football first and foremost. And and so I'm looking at the Bears, and man, you put him next to Eddie Jackson, a playmaker there for them, a proven playmaker, and I think you really have something. Staying there with their their pick in, in round number two, um, you know, and I, I think the Bears have to look at a corner as well. So, you know, they're sitting there at number 50 overall. That's the pick that they actually had that was theirs. And uh, so the Bears, you know, they have Kyle Fuller. And uh, they picked up Artie Burns from Pittsburgh, um, who to this point has been a first-round bust. 
Uh, you know, Kevin Tolliver's there at corner as well, but I, I think they need to, to look at a really invest in another corner. And I'm looking at Bryce Hall. Now, Bryce Hall, um, you know, if you'll remember, had he come out in last year's draft as a junior or after his junior season, he probably would have been the number one uh, corner taken and probably would have been a first round pick. Uh, opted to come back, but I mean, man, you know, 21 pass breakups to lead the country in, in 2018. Uh, also had a couple of interceptions, 62 tackles, three and a half tackles for loss. Got to the quarterback a couple of times with two sacks. Um, six games into the season, and he tears his ACL. Already had four pass breakups. Hadn't gotten an interception yet, but this was a guy. You know, teams were really um, not throwing the ball his way. You know, when you talk about ball skills, when you talk about a guy who knows how to put his uh, put his body in position to make a play on the football. Very, very savvy, understands the routes, you know, plays uh, the sideline to his advantage. Um, you know, I thought, you know, whether it's inside or outside leverage, he just knew where to put position his body to make a play on the football. And, uh, you know, I, I was so, so, uh, sad for, for Bryce Hall. And really, uh, you know, selfishly, I was kind of disappointed too because I really wanted to see what Bryce Hall could do. 6'1, 202. I wanted to see what this guy would be capable of as a senior, completely healthy. Um, you know what type of um, you know stat line this guy could have put up. You know when you talk about uh, Virginia in that ACC championship, you put him head to head against T. Higgins. Let him play him play Higgins wherever he lined up all over the field. Let him line up against uh, Justin Ross a little bit as well. Really go up against some of the better receivers in all of college football. I think Bryce Hall would have more than held his own against those guys. And so it's really unfortunate that we didn't get to see that. But I'm looking at that cornerback position. Bryce Hall, if he is completely healed, that leg is healthy, and he's able to come back, then I think he could challenge for a starting spot. I think he'd challenge Artie Burns and could potentially end up taking over that starting spot. I, I you know, firmly believe that. I think that'd be a great pick there for Chicago in round number two. Um, no picks in round number three. So that, those are really the only two picks uh, on day two of the of the draft. And uh, so the, the pick in round number three, that actually went again to the Raiders. Um, had to give up quite a few picks in order to get Khalil Mack. I mean, that's just... You know, part of the part of the deal there when you're getting a, a, a perennial All Pro like like Mac, but uh, the Bears sitting there at you know number 140 overall. Uh, why 140 and not higher than that? Well, they used a pick, uh, created a pick to the Patriots, uh, number 125 overall. So looking at 140, it's one of the compensatory selections, and I'm actually looking at the interior of their offensive line. So Chicago, you know, they, they have uh, James Daniels. Uh, there at left guard, uh, and then you have Rashad Coward, um, who was going to start at right guard. Now they've they've signed Jermaine Effetti. Uh, I think Effetti's probably going to end up being a tackle. Um, you know, there's Bobby Massey and Charles Leno are the starting tackles on the roster. Effetti has the versatility to play both guard and tackle, so he's probably going to end up being a, a guard there. But you know, I could also see him kicking outside to the tackle position. Either way, you're going to need depth at both positions. And I'm looking at Logan Stenberg. This is a guy who just has Chicago Bear written all over him. A big, physical offensive lineman. And Stenberg, look, 6'6", 317 pounds. Um, very physical at the point of attack. Generates a ton of movement. Um, he, he just, you know, he, he's a big, physical, nasty guard. I think that's really what Chicago is going to be looking for. I think that'd be a nice pick there uh, for Chicago. 
uh, in round number four. So that really does it for the NFC North. So it's going to be interesting you know, as, as we look through this, this draft and as we go through our, this road show, if you will, of all the divisions, um, you know, how all of this plays out. Um, you know, next week we're going to move on to the AFC North. So we're going to talk about Cincinnati. What do they do beyond Joe Burrow? You know, I think they have to look at at, at protecting him, uh, address the offensive line. Tyler Eifert is gone. They need to get a tight end. You know, I think they need to also fix the pass rush a little bit. And then, um, you know, I'm also looking at a receiver in round number five, James Prochet. I think he just looks like a guy who would just fit in very well. You've got A.J. Green on the outside to pair up with Tyler Boyd. you got John Ross, a speedster in the slot. James Prochet is your, your possession receiver, a guy who just knows how to get open. He'd be, I think he'd actually become a favorite target of Joe Burrows, to be p- completely honest, uh, in round number five. Um, you know, so we'll, we'll look at that with Cincinnati. Obviously, Cleveland, high expectations, didn't really work out for them. You have to protect Baker Mayfield. You know, we'll talk about this more in more depth next time. But, man, you know, Baker... Everyone was frustrated with the fact that he wouldn't step up or manipulate the pocket. He'd want to flee either to his left or right. But when your tackles aren't really stepping up for you, what option do you have? I mean, you're getting gun shy at that point. You know, it reminds me a lot of Brett Hundley when he was at UCLA. The offensive line was so porous. This was a guy, he'd make one read and then he was gone. He was taken off. And I think that really affected his draft stock. And so I think really when you're talking about in the NFL circles, you know, Baker Mayfield, a lot of people are like, all right, let's put up or shut up time. Yeah, you had a decent you know, rookie season, but this last year, man, you just wouldn't stay in the pocket. You know, now you, know, you got Jack Conklin at right tackle. If you can get an offensive lineman to play on the left side, really help him with that that offensive line, then it'll be, okay, now you'll know what you're dealing with with Baker Mayfield. Is it more of what you saw as a, as a rookie, or are you going to see more of, of the play as a sophomore um, you know, in, in a second season? You know, and that's really going to be the biggest question. You know, what, which Baker Mayfield are you going to see? you got to protect him first and foremost to really get that question answered. Um, I, I think they need to address the interior of that defensive line. Uh, I think they've got Larry Ogunjobi, uh, Shelton Richardson. They need some depth behind them. Um, I think they need to fix a pass rush a little bit more, you know, along, you know, to help out uh, Miles Garrett. Uh, you know, they, I think they need another receiver to complement Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry. I think they need to also address the interior of that line a little bit. You know, Wyatt Teller at right guard. Is he truly the answer? I think we can potentially address that. And then with Joe Schobert gone in the middle of that, that defense, that middle linebacker, I think they need to find another inside linebacker to ultimately take over that role as well. So that's Cleveland. Uh, Baltimore has a ton of picks in the first four rounds. Uh, I think you know the, the inside linebackers, they have to address that position. Really thin at the inside linebacker position. I think they're going to double up there. Um, I think they need to get another outside uh, pass rusher as well, coming off the edge, an edge rusher. Uh, I'm looking at the interior of that line. Marshall Yonda's gone. They need to get a, a, a guard that can take over his spot. I, I think they need to get another receiver in there, a big receiver, a big physical receiver um, is kind of what I want to see. When you have Mio Boykin uh, on one side, you know, who has some speed, has some size, um, you have uh, Willie Sneed, um, and then obviously you have a, a guy like, like, 
Marquise Hollywood Brown, the speedster, get in a bigger receiver to complement them. Um, you need a safety. Um, and then I think, you know, the defensive line, especially now that you lost Michael Brockers, ended up going back to the Rams. You know, I, I think you need to address that defensive end position. Um, so you could potentially see them doubling up there. I think they need to get some depth there um, along that defensive front. And then finally, Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, also without a, a first round pick, um, they ultimately dealt that one away. Um, and if I can get my computer to work, I'll be able to tell you who it was traded to. Uh, we actually went to Miami, so that and that was actually a part of the um, Mika Fitzpatrick deal, and, and so you know that's that's really the the, the biggest thing that you're going to see there is um, you know Pittsburgh without the first rounder, but you know I think they can still uh, be very productive in this draft, and I'm looking at some of the some of the guys that I have going there, and I'm really happy about it. Um, I, I think they need to address both the inside and outside linebacker positions. Um, you know, TJ Watt, uh, you know, Bud Dupree is is back. He's a f- uh, franchise tag, but I, I think they they need an, a long term answer. That I don't know the Bud Dupree is necessarily going to be there uh, beyond this season. Um, inside linebacker, I think they need to address that as well. Um, I think another receiver there to help Mason Rudolph out, potentially a quarterback um, to, to fit in there. Devlin Hodges uh, filled in admirably for for Mason Rudolph, but I think they need another quarter uh, quarterback at some point um, to in the mix there. And then I'm looking at that offensive line, Matt Filer there at right tackle. I think you could potentially be looking at another tackle that could fit in um, and really add to some depth there. I think they need another running back as well. Um, you know, Jalen Samuels is more of a fullback, and he's really been kind of the backup to James Conner. Uh, and Conner, some durability issues kind of flared up a little bit with him. You know, he's a physical runner, so you you need to have a guy that's going to be kind of your backup plan, um, be a complimentary back, take some of those hits away from from John. Uh, from uh, from James Conner there. So those are going to be the teams that we'll be talking about in, in next podcast. I'm going to go ahead. I can't promise you that I won't look at my, my mock draft uh, between now and then, but it will be in the next couple of days. I'll get another podcast out to you. And uh, I'm getting everything together to get the, the website up and, and, and going with my updated four-round mock draft. Uh, also putting together a, a fifth-round um, and then probably just keep on going with the sixth and seventh rounds as well. Why not? Um, you know, with all the social distancing and everything, you know, what, what else do I have? Um, you know, I might as well go ahead and, and work on those as well. Um, so my time is up. I've hope you've enjoyed the, the conversation. Hope you've enjoyed the content. Um, you know, this is how I see it. You know, I, I don't have any insider information or anything like that. I'm just taking a look at the landscape. Um, you know, they're in the NFL with the free agency, what that looks like. You know, I've, I've watched over 250 games this season, uh, end to end, um, or most the majority of the game. And so I've put in a, a ton of work, a ton of hours and, uh, you know, watch that throughout the season and, um, you know, to really be able to speak intelligently on these players, um, you know, I've watched, um, pretty much all of these players that we've, that I've been talking about. I've gotten to watch at least one game from beginning to end for each of these players, you know, at some point during their career and, um, you know, and seen some, some highlights and some snippets here and there as well. So I feel pretty comfortable being able to talk, 
intelligently about the players, uh, understand from a grade standpoint what round they should be coming off the board, and then looking at the team needs and really the fits. You know, is this a guy? What type of player is he? Would he be a great, you know, a good fit for this particular uh, organization? And, and kind of take things from there. So you know, I'm going to continue to 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 grind grind away. Take a look at, at things. Take a look at the free agent la- landscape. Uh, there are still some players that are out there that could potentially affect, um, you know, not only the first round but beyond. And, and like I showed in a couple uh, couple of uh, episodes ago, one player moving off of a spot in round number one has a trickle down effect that could be quite substantial. With, with any uh, any mock draft. So, you know, really that's the big thing that I'm going to be watching for is where are some of these big names, like Jadavion Clowney that's still sitting out there. Um, what happens there? How is that going to affect my mock draft? Is it going to affect it at all? And really be able to, okay, if he does come off the board um, or does go back to Seattle, what, you know, what do I need to do? You know, do I need to pivot in any way with, uh, with my board or uh, you know, if he goes elsewhere, is that going to ultimately affect you know one of the needs that I had evaluated in the first, second, or third rounds? Um, you know, so that's really you know at this point what I'm looking at is what are we going to see through free agency from here on out, and uh, we'll take it as it comes. You know, every few days I want to put together another podcast, bring it out to you, get more con as much content out as possible because my goal I really want to make sure that everybody is ready. For this NFL draft, looks like it is going to be April 23rd. So, uh, you know, we're less than a month away. I'm excited for it. I hope you are as well. Enjoy your week. Everyone, please stay safe and, and be healthy. Wash your hands as much as possible. Hand sanitizer the whole bit. Social distancing, please practice it. Um, and you know, I hope everyone does stay safe. Enjoy your week, like I said, and we'll do this again here in a couple of days. So for readyforthedraft.com, this has been the Ready for the Draft podcast. I've been your host, Greg Schutz. It's been a pleasure. Take care, everyone, and I am out of here.